Um, well, again, happy Thanksgiving to you. And uh, if you haven't received one yet, uh, there are communion cups out in the lobby, and there is a both a, a wafer and a cup there that uh, we're going to celebrate at the end of our scripture talk uh, this morning on this Thanksgiving Sunday. So you're never obligated, but always invited. And eating and drinking is something Jesus invited us to do in remembrance of him. And so that's what we will do today together before we go. And um, as well, we were inviting our congregation last week to come prepared to give uh, a Thanksgiving offering over and above your tithes toward our chapel project. And uh, so you can e-transfer, as I did this morning, chapel at kingstreet.org, and uh, it'll go directly to the chapel project. So just chapel at kingstreet.org and e-transfer through your bank. And then as well, you can head over to, um, you know, we're living in a new world, right, where uh, this is the offering bag these days. So you can just go to our website, www.kingstreet.org. You'll see menu at the very top. You can click on that. Then you'll see give at the bottom of that drop-down menu, and then you can just uh, give accordingly. So thank you in advance for doing whatever you can today on this Thanksgiving Sunday to help us come the new year, start a construction project that will be a beautiful space for worship, for prayer, for teaching, wonderful celebrations of marriage and honoring those who've gone on to be with Jesus. Um, it's going to be a beautiful space. So thank you in advance for helping us with that. Um, so Thanksgiving, giving thanks is a choice we make. Um, until we articulate our gratitude, it just sort of kind of bounces around in the heart and in the mind. And uh, just like a couple who um, have recently been married and then not so recently been married because the years go by, it's important to tell one another that you love each other, right? I love you. It's a wonderful thing to say. And uh, the person who says, well, I told you a bunch of years ago that I love you, you know that I love you, right? It, it kind of doesn't really resonate. It doesn't, it doesn't create a lot of connection between the couple, right? Uh, it's the same with us. We can be grateful and thankful, but until we articulate it and say thank you to others. You know, Canadians are incredibly polite people, aren't we? We, we say please and thank you often, and uh, we have a great reputation around the world for being polite people. Um, but, you know, we're all human, and, and sometimes we can become a little more entitled and um, a little more kind of demanding along the way, and as life gets busier and we become more stressful, we perhaps become a little less polite. Um, Jesus never called us to be polite, though I think it's a good thing to be polite, by the way. Jesus called us to follow him closely and to allow his spirit to saturate our lives so that we would take on his character. And uh, Jesus himself demonstrated gratitude and uh, being thankful. We're going to learn today. We're going to build a biblical framework about what it means for us to be devoted Jesus-following people who live a life of thanksgiving. And then we're also going to take a look, um, and I say this often, God's ways work. If you're at the edges of faith and you wonder why these Christians keep meeting week after week to celebrate the salvation story and then we scatter for purposes of service, um, God's ways work. If you build a life on the ways of God, you will find yourself over a period of time discovering that it's a beautiful and good life that God invites us into. 
And so God's ways work. We're going to take a look at the benefits of gratitude. I went for a gratitude walk this morning, and I didn't stop from beginning to end. It took the form of prayer, took the form of meditation, took the form of just silence, looking around, taking it in. It was a gratitude walk. And I typically start most of my walks with that. Posture my heart around all that I've been given, undeservingly so. It's a beautiful thing to understand the fullness of our lives and what God has provided. And sometimes there are these just assumptions we make about what we have. Well, it should be this way. Well, for a lot of people around the world, it isn't that way. When you climb into your hot shower in the morning, I say, thanks be to God for the warm water. The lights came on today. Different parts of the world, they're going to be rationing oil and gas just to stay warm in Europe, right? You and I can adjust the thermostat so our comfort level is as high as possible. We're blessed. Hot water, I, I was in Mongolia on a mission trip a bunch of years ago, and not hot water, just water. Well, I had a trickle. My shower was a trickle of freezing cold water, and I just tried to negotiate mostly my armpits under the water. <laughs> for my friend's sake. Uh, but showers were hard to come by. When we baptized people there, it was bottled water over the head. And uh, you, just, you just think everybody has what we have. And, and sometimes you just need to slow it all down and say, no, that's just not the case. We are blessed people. And then those of us who put our saving faith in Jesus, we, we have been granted eternal life like, do you get your head around that? Our life is never going to end. You can't extinguish the divine spark inside of you, and then it becomes a beautiful roaring flame that's intended to warm up and light up the world around us. But we get eternal life. It's both quantity and quality. My sins are forgiven. All the things I've done, all the things you've done, forgiven, canceled. No debts before God any longer. We're just invited into a life of gratitude that surrenders in a fully devoted life of service. That's it. Not to earn anything, just because we're grateful. There should be great liberty in the Christian life. Great liberty. Not to prove ourselves to God, but out of thanksgiving, say to him, what can I do for what you've done for me? So... It's a beautiful invitation for us. Um, I, I like what C.S. Lewis, at least he's been credited as saying this. Um, he says, the worst moment for an atheist is when they feel profound sense of gratitude and have no one to thank. You're walking along the shoreline, sunrise, sunset. You're going for a walk in a conservation area, see the colors changing, and you're kind of like, this is awesome. I'm like, I feel so grateful, but who do I thank? We thank God, the one true God of heaven and earth, who gives us everything that's good and beautiful. Okay, so we're going to talk about Thanksgiving today, and I think it's important that we posture our hearts accordingly. We're going to take a look at some scriptures in just a few moments. But in the Christian tradition, and I practice it in my family, I'm sure many of you do as well, we say grace, right? We know what say grace means. Before the meal, we give thanks to God for the food. The reason it has been called saying grace is because... I'm just going to unpack something here for you, and it's important as we consider what Thanksgiving is all about. Grace is a gift, right? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So pregnant in the understanding of grace is gift. 
its gift. In fact, uh, many of us in this church community would understand that to be a charismatic, right? Charisma. Charis in Greek is where we get the word grace, but it's the gifts of the Spirit, the charismata. So gift and grace go together. They're really, um, um, they're, they're one and the same in the sense that if you understand the true nature of grace, you'll understand that it's a gift. So when we say thanks be to God for our food, we realize that it is all a gift from God. Now here's where it gets tough for us. We say, how can that be a gift from God? I set my alarm in the morning to go to work, and I fight through the 400 series highways to get to Toronto to earn my living. I was the one who went to school and got that undergrad degree and maybe that graduate degree, and I'm the one who does 10-hour work days. I earn my paycheck. I buy my food at the grocer. No one, the ravens don't drop it off to my front door. So we begin to think about all the ways that we deserve and we earn and we achieve. But here's where we need to back up the bus. The sunshine and rain waters the ground and causes the harvest to grow. And the farmers work the fields and they bring the harvest and the grocers do what the grocers do to put it on the shelves. And you and I get the gift, those of us who have eyesight and hearing and strengthen our bodies and we're, our bodies are disease-free to go to work, and then we get an opportunity to have employment. We get the opportunity to be born, for many of us, some of us, in Canada, but all of us live here now. Opportunities we didn't earn or achieve, but they were given to us. So often I would pray before, God, thank you for this food, for the sunshine and rain, for the farmers who go into the harvest field. Thank you that you've brought part of this harvest to my table today so I can enjoy this meal. So, do we earn it? Do we achieve it? There's a sense in which there's a yes to that. We partner with God, but we only step into what he makes possible. And so we recognize today that he has made things possible that we could not make possible for ourselves. Not sure how we could cause the sunshine and rain to fall. You know, there's irrigation systems, thanks be to God, and all the ways we make our world better. But at the end of the day, God provides things that we cannot provide for ourselves. And so we are today finding our thank you. That's the teaching theme for this morning, finding our thank you. Okay, so biblical framework. Here we are. Number one, we're going to take a look at a few passages of scripture to kind of frame up our thanksgiving. And then I'm going to invite you to be a reader today. We're going to take a look at Psalm 136, and we'll, we'll set that up in just a few moments. Pastor Gary's going to help us with that, and you're going to read along with him. Um, but biblical framework. Um, giving thanks is not dependent on our circumstances, first and foremost. Because you might be here today saying, your life has never been harder than it is right now. And you're hearing someone like me invite you to be thankful. Well, listen to Paul. He doesn't let any of us off the hook because, again, gratitude is good for us. Always be joyful, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So you want to know God's will? Always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances. You know there's a difference, right, between being thankful for all circumstances and being thankful in all circumstances. We're not thankful for everything. I was not thankful for the eighth inning yesterday. 
But in the middle of it, I had my family around me. I was healthy. There's, there's so many things I can say, thanks be to God for the moment, even though the circumstances were anything but joyful. We can be thankful in all circumstances, but not for all circumstances. And Jesus himself models this for us, right? On the night before he was betrayed, um, the text tells us, Matthew 26, he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks for it. Underline that in your mind. He gave thanks for it. He gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, his disciple friends, and he said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So here's Jesus saying, this cup, I'm giving thanks to God for it. And by the way, it's a symbol that points to the substance of my own blood. And he uses the term sacrifice. Jesus is thankful in the middle of circumstances that would cost him his life. And so when you and I are pressed against the wall, so to speak, with nowhere to go, and it feels like death is on the horizon, according to Jesus, we can still be thankful. He was. And we, he invites us to be his followers. So giving thanks is not dependent on circumstances. Giving thanks is intended to be something we do from the beginning of our lives through to the very end. So Psalm 136, there are 26 verses. Uh, it is very deliberately put in play by the psalmist who is writing part of the liturgy or the, the hymn book of the Hebrew people. And the first verse starts like this. It goes, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then his faithful love endures forever. That's the very first verse. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then the very last verse, give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. And then in the middle, we hear about God's nature and his goodness and his greatness. We hear about his, um, his creation. And then we hear about the salvation story, how God delivers and provides. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. But from beginning to end, it is a picture for us how all the way through our lives, we are to give thanks to God. There is never a moment that's outside the purview of our invitation to be thankful. So here's what we're going to do. Um, there's 26 verses, and I am going to say over and over again the, um, uh, the, the refrain. The refrain. I think that's what it is. Gary and I are trying to figure this out. It's the refrain. It's the thing that gets said over and over again, right? I'm going to repeat that 26 times. And we have to just back up for a second. We are 21st century people living with a text from the ancient world. In the 21st century, when we want to emphasize something, what do we do? We underline it, we put it in bold, we put it in uppercase letters, we put exclamation marks behind it. That's the way we use literary devices to get a reader's attention that what we're saying is very, very important. Back in the ancient world with the Hebrew text, you didn't have those options when it comes to Hebrew grammar. You would repeat something. If you wanted the reader to understand something, you would hear repetition. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to hear something worth remembering. And here's what it is. His faithful love endures forever. Do you ever grow tired of hearing about how his faithful love endures forever? We're going to repeat that. I'm going to, and you're going to hear. So if you're able today, would you stand with me? We're going to stand for about five minutes or so, and uh, we're going to read the text um, together, and I'm going to make a comment or two along the way, but the words will be on the screen, and your job is to repeat what Pastor Gary 
uh, to actually read with Pastor Gary. So you're going to read the verse, Let's and I'm going to repeat the refrain. Okay? And so um, we're going to talk right now about how our giving thanks is rooted in God's salvation story. We give thanks and acknowledge God's greatness. Ready for this? Yeah. Don't do this half-hearted, please, on this Thanksgiving Sunday. Remember? So your neighbor can hear you reading. All right? So, Pastor Gary, let's go for it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Wonderful. All right, we're going to keep going through this in just a moment. But we give thanks to God and acknowledge his, his, uh, God's greatness. And now we're going to, going to give thanks to God for his beautiful work of creation. Pastor Gary and congregation. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures forever. And the moon and stars to rule the night. His faithful love endures forever. We give thanks to God for his creation all around us. Okay, now we're going to give thanks to God for his rescue for us. Pastor Gary. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and a powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. He led Israel safely through. His faithful love endures forever. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. Let's pause there for one moment. One of the hardest things, I don't know how it was for you to read it, but give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. Is that hard to say? Give thanks to God who killed the Egyptian firstborn boys or males. Can we pause there for just a second? Because I think this is important to understand. When we read things over and we don't thoughtfully consider them, sometimes what happens is we say them and our heart's not in it. So here's what the biblical writer is trying to help us understand. I know you're standing, so I'll try to move through this reasonably quickly. Exodus chapter 1. Do you remember the story? The Israelites, the Hebrew people, are exponentially multiplying. There's growth. There's concern by Pharaoh and his leadership team that um, they will be overrun by the Hebrews. So there is a mandate for all of the Hebrew boys to be killed at birth. Remember that part of the story? And so Moses is rescued, ironically, by Pharaoh's daughter, right? And he grows up in Pharaoh's household, and he ends up, ready for this? 80 years later, 80 years later, standing before Pharaoh, nine times saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh nine times does what? Hardens his heart and says no. The tenth plague comes, and it is the killing of the firstborn in Egypt, the boys, the men, the males. 
including Pharaoh's own son. So remember this. God keeps good books. And remember this. This is why the psalmist can write it and the people of God repeat it, is that God's mercy and his invitation for us to change our ways is exponential compared to our transgressions. Nine times he's given an opportunity to turn for home, to change his ways. But on the 10th time he said, enough is enough, let my people go. And it wasn't just Pharaoh who'd passed the edict in, Egypt, in Exodus chapter one, it was Pharaoh's son-in-law. What does that mean for us? The behavior of one generation impacts the consequences of another generation when we don't turn for home. And so the, the writer of this, of this Psalm 136 is wanting us to know that God is always aware, that God keeps good books, and God comes to the rescue of his people. And though it's hard for us to read, there was exponential mercy offered to Pharaoh. That's a good news story, isn't it? Even though it's hard to read at first glance, we step back and take a little bit of a bigger view, let the lens kind of see the whole story, and it's like, okay, God, you're exponentially merciful and give us opportunities. All right, let's land this. We give thanks to God for his protection and provision. Pastor Gary and congregation. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. His faithful love endures forever. He killed powerful kings. His faithful love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites. His faithful love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. His faithful love endures forever. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. His faithful love endures forever. A special possession to a servant Israel. His faithful love endures forever. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. And would you join me by saying this one last time? His, His faithful, faithful love endures, endures forever. forever. Amen to that. Amen. Church family, you Amen. may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Gary, for helping us with this. And I know it's a little bit awkward, isn't it? This is the way culture works, right? We get used to a certain way of doing life, and then we get exposed to something so different. And it's like, I feel uncomfortable. We're repeating this 26 times. Pastor Dave, I get it, right? I get it. But there are some things, this literary device, if you let it come to you and wash over you, it's kind of like, I'm experiencing this repetition in a way that's just sort of like, okay, okay, but I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to sit there with this and allow it to come to me over and over again because in life, his faithful love comes to us over and over again. It's the way it's supposed to be. So that was a good exercise, even though it's so different for us in the world that we live in. All right, can we talk about the benefits of Thanksgiving? Scripture says it's important. Now let's talk about how we know it's good for us. All right, so I'm thankful to Amy Morin, who has written um, seven benefits of, um, of gratitude, and it's been published in Forbes magazine. So this is not just on the back of a napkin, someone's idea. This has all been researched, and it's all valid. Ready for these seven benefits? Here's what they are. The first one is this. Gratitude opens the door to more relationships. There was a study done in 2014 that said that when people express gratitude to people they would consider to be like, um, they're not friends necessarily, but they're acquaintances, 
they would ultimately more likely become friends once gratitude was expressed. We want to be around people, right, who are not demanding and selfish and entitled. We want to be around people who are full and overflowing and express their gratitude. So gratitude actually opens the door to more relationships. Secondly, gratitude improves physical health. According to a 2012 study, people who express thanksgiving regularly report less aches and pains. Anybody have any aches and pains in the room today? Apparently, take two doses of gratitude and you should be fine. Um, and people who express gratitude more consistently, it's a bit of the chicken and the egg, but they actually take better care of themselves. So if you want to take better care of your body, start by being grateful and expressing that through thanksgiving. All right, number three, gratitude improves psychological health and well-being. Um, Robert Emmons, a leading gratitude researcher, didn't know there was such a thing, but there is a gratitude researcher. He's discovered that people who consistently express gratitude, they report feeling happier and with less cases of a depressed mood. So you want to be happier? Just give thanks more often. Um, gratitude enhances, number four, empathy and reduces aggression. That is relevant for our society, right there. A University of Kentucky study discovered that people who practice giving thanks are less likely to seek revenge or retaliate when treated poorly. So there we go. That's the answer to our social media problems right there, right? Just express thanksgiving. The aggression levels go down when we are grateful people and we express it to others. That's so good. I love that. It enhances empathy and reduces aggression. Uh, number five, grateful people sleep better. Oh, that's good. Using a gratitude journal has been found to improve quality and quantity of sleep. So as you nod off at night, thank God for 20 or 25 things that you experienced during the day. And it sounds like you're going to sleep better and perhaps even longer. Uh, gratitude improves self-esteem. Uh, gratitude has been found to reduce social comparisons. That makes sense, doesn't it? If I'm grateful for what I have, I'm going to spend less time looking at what you have and wanting it for myself. Reduce social comparisons and increases contentment levels. And then finally, here's the last one, number seven. Gratitude increases mental strength. Gratitude has been found to reduce stress and play a role in helping people deal with trauma. A 2003 study following the 9-11 terrorist attacks found that those who had higher levels of gratitude were found to demonstrate a higher level of mental toughness. So the principle is this. Recognizing all you have to be thankful for, even during the worst times of your life, fosters personal resilience. Good stuff there. So those are the benefits. Why don't we do it more often? Well, here's the obstacles that prevent us far too often from expressing gratitude. Here's the first one. We touched on it just a moment ago. The comparison trap, right? Where we spend too much energy looking over the fence at what our neighbor drives or where our neighbor lives or whatever might be going on with our neighbor and his family or her family. And we end up saying, how come my life is X, Y, Z and their life is A, B, C? And God speaks to this, right? The 10th commandment, do not covet. And then he goes on and tells us what we ought not to covet. He says here, you must not covet your neighbor's house. That's his house. That's her house. This is yours. He says, we must not covet your neighbor's house. And remember again, 
A few weeks ago, we talked about the Ten Commandments or any of the laws. They're always intended to be protective because if I'm spending a lot of my energy looking with scrutiny at what you have and I compare it with what I don't have, I'm going to feel like I lack and you have abundance. And that's not a wonderful place to um, kind of posture your own life from. So he says, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or perhaps husband their male or female servant, what they do for a living, their ox or donkey, uh, what they're driving maybe, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Just let that be your neighbor's and let what is yours be yours because we are far more likely to live fulfilled, satisfied lives that way. Secondly, here's another reason why we struggle, another obstacle. And at first glance, when we read the Bible sometimes, we go, how come those people did that? Have you ever found yourself reading the Bible sometimes or hearing Bible stories and going, I wouldn't have done that. I I think we give ourselves a little too much credit sometimes with what we would have and would not have done. Um, But do you remember the story that Jesus tells of uh, these 10 lepers? And if you remember in the first century, if you had leprosy, you didn't have much of a life. You were a social outcast, and that impacted your wallet or your purse. You had very little money. You were probably impoverished. You were never touched by another human person. You were outside the community in many ways. You couldn't go to the house of God and worship with God's people. To have leprosy, you didn't have much of a life. And these 10 men are healed by Jesus. They are cleansed of their leprosy. And he tells a story, and... Only one of the 10, remember that story? One of the 10 comes back to say thank you. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? And I just, in my mind, think, yeah, where are the other nine? Like, why didn't they come back to say thank you? It's it's not that big of a deal, is it? But just imagine for a moment, you haven't had much of a life and someone just gave you your life back. You haven't been hugged by another person in years. And you want to go and hug your spouse. You want to go and hug your kid. You want to hug your family. You want to hug anybody who will hug you. You want to go and start celebrating and informing your friends. And you want to start doing the things you couldn't do. That's a really good thing. Those activities were really, really good things. But the focus was on who? The focus was on the person and what they had received and all the benefits that came their way. And so one of the reasons why we don't return thanks is we're preoccupied with self and we forget the other. And that's why we struggle in our society right now with an entitlement culture where we are focusing on our rights and not our responsibilities and why we are so me-focused. It's leading to a life that is less grateful and more demanding. And it's problematic in relationships in our households. It's problematic in our workplaces. It's problematic in society in general. And so we need to shift the focus, and it's human, the focus off of a preoccupation off of self and onto others. And that's what we were probably known for as a country a number of decades ago. And I think we may be losing a little bit of that. And I think the reason why is consistent with our very last point that we'll talk about in just a moment. Human beings are generally not at their best when they're stressed. When you and I are experiencing too much of anything, we don't think as clear, we don't act as responsibly, and we become very self-focused. And we become very protective And so um, when our stress levels are peaking, we are less inclined 
to think about the other. And so um, there's this small little word that shows up, and probably you've scratched your head wondering what it means when you read the Psalms. Um, Sila, it's pronounced all sorts of different ways, but S-E-L-A-H. Have you stumbled upon that little word in the Psalms? At the end of a few verses of scripture, you'll find in different Psalms that David or the author tucks this little word Selah in there. And because um, the Psalms are like the, uh, the song book of the Hebrew people, it's actually like a musical rest um, that's there. It's almost like take a breath, pause for a moment, and in some circles, they'll translate it, think about it. And so this little word is there intended to be a pause, stop, slow down, make space, think about what you just read. The problem with our lives right now is there's not a lot of thinking space and there's not a lot of pause that naturally just presents itself to us and says, there, there it is. We actually have to create it. And so um, sometimes we don't go for the gratitude walk. Sometimes we don't start the gratitude journal. Sometimes we don't thank our spouse or whoever prepared the meal. Sometimes we're so hungry, and I'm guilty of it as well, I don't pause to thank God because I feel like I'm starving and I'm not starving. It's like, David, slow down, thanks be to God, and then eat your meal, right? All of us can be, get running. And then just pause for a second and say, God, I have a job, thank you for that. When was the last time I thanked my boss for being my boss? When was the last time I thanked my coworker for helping me with that project? When was the last time the boss thanked the employees for being employees? When was the last time we thanked our professors, our teachers? When was the last time we went up to a police officer? I was out with a police officer on Friday night, and he says, every now and then you'll have a citizen come up and say, by the way, thanks for doing a good job. When was the last time we just go up to somebody who's collecting the tickets at the Rogers Center when you go to the ballgame? Say, thanks for being at your post. Thank you for my hot dog, my, my, my loony dog on Tuesday nights, whatever it might be. Thank you, right, for whatever someone has given to you. Sometimes just take, 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 take. And the reason why is because we're busy. We've got to get on to the next thing. And we're in a hurry. And we're moving so fast that we just expect everybody to do everything for us. That's not to shame you because I'm in the same boat with you. But we just need to pause for a moment and say, okay, slow this thing down, David. When I'm at my best, I walk more slowly, I talk more slowly, I chew my food longer. When I'm not at my best, I'm in a hurry to get everything done yesterday. And when that happens, we just don't, we don't express Thanksgiving the way we ought to. So, thank you for being a wonderful congregation. Thank you for loving me and my family. Thank you, many of you, for faithfully being at your post. I see some of our board here today who are serving as ushers to help you find your way in. Thank you to our staff. Every week, every day, they bring their best to serve the Lord and his church. So thank you to the staff team for all that you do. Thank you for being friends with me. Thank you for shouldering the load of being a witnessing community in the Durham region and doing your best to represent Christ. Thank you for your faithful giving of tithes and offerings. Thank you for all the ways you send notes of encouragement. Thank you for the ways you pray for pastors and you pray for one another. Thank you for being a family, a church community that loves each other and loves each other consistently. Thank you for being about the right things. Whenever we invite you to serve in some area or to give towards something, this congregation is incredibly fast at responding with big, warm hearts of compassion. 
Thank you for reminding my family. When, I, when my family moved here, my youngest was seven and my oldest was nine. My oldest is now married. Thank you for being good to my family. You've been good to my kids. In some churches, pastors' kids are never good enough. My kids were good enough for you. Thank you for that. I owe you, I owe you a thanks because there are some pastors' families that unfortunately go through the ringer because some people in the congregation expect something unrealistic of their kids. You never did that to my family. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. I thank you for looking out for new people who come to the church because you were once new and you haven't forgotten. Thank you for making a deep commitment to the life of the church, realizing that this is more than just a place to attend to get something for you, but that you have a posture to give back and that we belong together. You actually live like family more often than you maybe realize it, and it's a wonderful thing. and inspires me and your pastors. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. And I could keep going on. But some of you have a turkey in the oven, and we have communion to celebrate. And um, it's good. I didn't hear that, but it sounded good, whatever that was. Thank you. You are sincerely welcome. You are sincerely welcome. And now, this would be very appropriate, wouldn't it, to give thanks to Jesus for all that he's done for us. So um, if you haven't received one of these cups yet that has the wafer in it, there are deacons at the back who are holding communion trays. You can make your way to the back and they will help you get your cup. And um, again, I'm just reminded of the fact that there may be new people here today who are brand new to even this experience. And this is not a, um, a King Street Community Church idea. This is a Jesus idea and invitation. And there's two different cellophanes on this, just in case if you're new to this, and it's not always easy to get the top one off, but the wafer is there hidden underneath that first one, okay? So there it is. Um, this is a Jesus idea. And um, I, I say this often because I think it's important that it needs to be said as a reminder. Before we eat and drink together, Scripture teaches, Paul wrote, that we ought not to eat and drink in an unworthy manner. And in the past, we've maybe understood that to mean, unless you have lived near perfectly, this is not for you. That's not what Paul meant. In the context of what Paul was writing, Paul was saying, if you're going to eat and drink this meal and disregard Jesus, that he's not at the center of it, then please don't eat and drink, because that would be unworthy of the celebration of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. And so I say that to say that every person who's about to eat and drink is flawed and has failed. And every person who's here today needs to be forgiven. And thanks be to God, past, present, and future sins have already been atoned for in Jesus. And so that we are eating and drinking, why? To prove ourselves to God or to jump through a religious hoop? No, we're eating and drinking to remember what was done for us that has achieved our forgiveness. So this ought to be a celebration of grace and mercy and to remind ourselves of how dearly and deeply loved we all are. So I say that to help set one person at least free here today from this burden of, I'm not good enough. Join the club. We are all not good enoughs. Jesus died for the not good enoughs. 
He died for the failures. He died for those who are flawed. He died for those who need to be forgiven. That's all of us. And so we set aside our pretense. We set aside our religious um, self-righteousness. And we acknowledge today that we need something to be done for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And Jesus stepped in and did it. So we're going to eat in just a moment, but before we do, um, if you believe these words to be true, would you recite them with me? The Apostles' Creed, this is the content of our faith. The substance of our faith is Jesus, but would you join me by reciting the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And if you believe that to be true, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Father, thank you today for the wafer we hold in our hands. It is a reminder to us of how loved we are. And we are eating today, reminding ourselves that the broken body of Jesus was crushed for our sins. You were bruised, Lord, for our iniquities. Lord, the transgressions that bring us peace, they were placed upon you. And so we acknowledge and honor the broken body of the Lord Jesus. We believe that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself in the body on the cross. And so with high regard for the broken body of Jesus, would you join me by eating the wafer? And then, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we hold this costly cup. And it is a symbol that points us to the suffering Jesus, the substance of his shed blood, a brand new agreement and covenant established for us at the cross. And thanks be to God that we are eating and drinking today, not as a memorial to a dead Savior, but a crucified, resurrected King. Amen? Amen. And he is paying careful attention to those who are his own, and he keeps careful watch over us. And so with high regard for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, would you join me by drinking from the cup? Amen to that. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness and your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your love. Thank you that you are restoring and making all things new, including us. And thank you, God, that we can take into ourselves today the sacred symbols of both wafer and cup, and it reminds us of whose we are. We belong to you today, Lord. Sons and daughters adopted into your family, we are at home with you. And one day when we are away from the body, we will be at home with you. And between now and then, Lord, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we consecrate ourselves to be faithful to you and to your purposes. And we pray this in the awesome name of God, who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Amen. Okay, so here's how we're going to land our gathering today. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to ask those of you who would like to be prayed for just to stand in your seat. And if, if you have a need in your body, your mind, your relationships, uh, there could be something that's deeply personal to you that's known by no one else. And it doesn't need to be known by anyone else in this room today. And so uh, what we're going to do is function like a family today. The body of Christ, when she's working well, we recognize that we need each other. And Jesus talked about something very powerful called agreement prayer. And when we agree together on earth in Jesus' name, right, which is consistent with his character, Jesus says, go ahead and ask. And you watch. When you ask, I'll work. And so um, as long as you're comfortable somebody putting their hand on your back or extending their hand toward you, uh, would you stand today if you would like to be prayed for? And then friends and family who are around you, we're just going to have a point of agreement. And uh, the hand on the shoulder is just symbolic to say, you're not alone. I'm standing with you. And, uh, and, and we are agreeing together about what you're bringing to God today. So uh, I don't want anybody standing alone. So we look around at who's standing today. Can you find someone else that you can put a, a hand on a shoulder and just remind them that they're loved and they're not alone? and we're going to pray together. And uh, what I love about this is this is the family caring for the family. It's the body of Christ functioning the way it was supposed to. And so we're just going to wait until everybody has someone standing with them. And um, there's still uh, a gentleman over there that's standing that needs someone to stand with him. And I don't have my glasses on. I'm doing my best. I think there might be a young lady at the back there in the corner uh, that needs someone to stand with her. Um, Okay, all right. So, do you have faith to believe today that what we're about to bring to God, he's capable of handling? I think there's a gentleman standing on his own over there, and I never like to see that. I think right there with the white shirt on, if somebody could just go toward him, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. All right. Do you believe Jesus can help us with whatever we're facing? Let's let faith rise in this place. We're talking to the Almighty. We're talking to the God of heaven and earth, who one word from heaven can change circumstances and can cause strength to emerge where we're weak. We call on the name of the one true God today. We call upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We call upon the God of the prophets. We call upon the God of King David. We call upon the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the apostles who recorded Holy Scripture for us today. We call on the one who is King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God of heaven and earth, who knows all things and who is is forever perfected goodness defined. We call upon you today who holds all power and all authority over demonic spirits, over human suffering, over the ways of this world, over governments and over kings and rulers. You are the supreme one. And we bow our knee uh, metaphorically before you today, God, acknowledging that we're on earth and you're in heaven and you are above all things. 
You are supreme today, God, and we worship you, and we honor you, and you're the one who gives us our next breath, and you know the beginning from the end. You know everything about us. You know areas of strength and areas of weakness. You know areas, God, where we're vulnerable. You know, Lord, what you've planned for us and what we will step into sooner than later, and you know all that awaits us. And so, God, we come today honoring and acknowledging you. God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who is completely trustworthy, who holds our lives in his hands and is able to direct the heart of the king and to direct the heart of each one who stands today. Lord, we agree together on earth that you can manage things that we are unable to manage on our own. You're the one, Lord, who can heal and restore and repair bodies, who can bring peace to troubled minds, who can restore relationships that are against the ropes. You're the one who can provide employment and the next opportunity and the check that needs to come where we don't know it will come from, God, you can provide. And so we ask you today, Lord, to do for the one who stands today, who's acknowledging, Lord, the measure of faith that they do have, that you are, as we sung earlier, enough. You're more than enough for us, God. And so we, we make space for you now, God, willing to do what we can, but knowing that we have our limits. Lord, we pray that there be wonderful stories of your powerful faithfulness demonstrated to your people as we commit these needs to you now. Lord, we pray, maybe perhaps for ones who are not here today, but we're standing in for them. We pray for a beautiful demonstration of the Spirit's power and work in and through so many people's lives. And Lord, we do pause now to say, may it always be for your glory and honor. May there be a demonstration of your power in our lives. And Lord, even if it means for us bearing up under challenging circumstances, would you give us strength to bear up under challenging times? Would you give us a strong backbone, Lord? Would you give us a tenacious spirit where we choose, Lord, to be faithful to you in spite of what we face? We choose now, even God, to surrender our hearts and lives to you and say, Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in my little corner of the world, whether it be my body, my mind, my relationships, my workplace, my finances, whatever it is, God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may it always be for your glory and your honor that we pray these things. So, Lord, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we do ask because you invite us to bring our asks to you. So we do that now. And we leave them with you because we know that you are more than capable. You've heard our prayers, and we trust you with the outcome. And we pray this in Jesus' awesome, saving, healing, forgiving name. And everybody said together, amen, amen, amen. Amen. Uh, church family, would you stand on this Thanksgiving Sunday? We are going to dismiss ourselves and uh, always remember this. There's a beautiful sense of God's presence when we meet for worship like this, and it's always so good. But always remember when you leave this place and you head out those doors, you do not go alone into your home or wherever you go. God goes with you, right? God is with us. We are never, ever alone. We gather for worship and we scatter for service. So before we do that, though, can I leave you with a blessing? And I love to speak these words over you. And uh, if you're here maybe for the first time, I'm going to recite some ancient words and they carry great power.
So if you want this blessing for yourself, there's no magical way to receive it, but I do this. I open my hands up and say, Lord, let these words come to me and I receive them. If you're comfortable doing that, I invite you to do so. And I just lift up my hands as they would, as the priests would, and they would bless the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his loving countenance towards you and give you much peace and much grace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Have a great rest of the weekend. God bless you.